Our scripture lesson today comes from the Sermon on the Mount. That's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, right in the middle of the sermon is Matthew 6. Let's share in God's good word together. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word life that means forever, and that's a mighty long time, but I'm here to tell you there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun, day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Everything will be all right. Instead of asking him how much of your time is left, ask him how much of your mind, babe. Because in this life, things are much harder than the afterworld. In this life, you're on your own. And if the elevator tries to bring you down, well, go crazy. Just punch a higher floor. Now, when I was in high school and early college, the artist formerly known as Prince played the whole soundtrack of my life. Sometimes when it came to my studies or my relationships, I was, well, to be honest, too demanding. And sometimes I was like my father, too bold. Sometimes I was just like my mother. She was never satisfied. And I wondered as a preacher's family, at our worst moments, why do we scream at each other? And I never did figure out why doves cry. They can do anything. They're so awesome. They're so awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. So, um, I would listen to print. I wore out that little cassette tape in my car. I would be in my garage. My mom would come out and look at me like, what is going on? Like, the walls are shaking. And so, there, there are two things um, that come out of this song that I want you to know. Number one, heaven is a mighty long time. Eternity is a long time. And two, with Jesus, you're, say with me, never on your own. You're never on your own. In this life, you're not on your own. The Holy Spirit is with you. That's the whole point of being Acts 2. That's the whole point of the kingdom coming to earth. It is available to you now, not just later. And so, um, counter to what many folks might think, particularly church folks, um, this song, Let's Go Crazy, is actually a call to rise above temptation. Did you know that? It opens, of course, with a sermon of sorts, dearly beloved. But then it describes Satan as... The elevator. No, we didn't spell it wrong. It's the elevator. Like God lifts you up, Satan tries to bring you down. And so in an in a interview with Prince in 1997, he explained the song this way. He said, let's go crazy was about God and Satan. And I had to change those words up. The elevator was Satan in that song. And let's go crazy was God to me. Stay happy, stay focused, and you can beat the elevator. That's good news. 
Now, we've been talking about love and happiness, and here's the thing. Satan hates that. He doesn't want you to be in love. He doesn't want you to be happy. Satan is the creator of lies and misunderstanding and chaos. Have you ever said one thing and the people that you love heard another? Sometimes you can use the exact same words. I'm told that when a woman says, I've got nothing to wear, that it means she does not have an outfit that she thinks deemed appropriate for the event that she's about to go to. When a guy says, I've got nothing to wear, it means everything's dirty. That's it. You can say the exact same words mean two very, very different things. And so Satan wants to make you miserable. He wants to destroy your relationships, and he's always pulling at those strings. So we're going to finish up the series on love and relationships, uh, love and happiness today. And um, thanks for being good sports about all of it. And um, I know it can be kind of tender to us um, because we're all in relationships. It's the most important thing in life. And just know that I am never, ever intentionally trying to poke you um, when it comes to your heart. Never. Um, but it can be, it can be fr- pretty tender sometimes because we all have a broken heart at one point or another. And so just know that we love you. God loves you. We're glad that you're here. So, quick recap. Week one, love is an intentional act for the good of another. Right? Say this last part with me. To will and work for everyone's best. That's what agape love is. God's love for the world. That's what you see Jesus do all the time. He sees people. He notices them. He loves them. He blesses them. He heals them. So this first act of love is the giving of attention. You can't love people you don't see. That you don't connect with. You have to develop that relationship, and, and it takes time, doesn't it? And in week two, we learned that more than wealth or health or fame, what is it that keeps our, us healthier and happier? Relationships. We know this. They've, they've done a study now more than 80 years. They've tracked these people, and what they find is those folks with strong relationships, it doesn't have to be a romantic partner in any stretch, but those who have people around them that love them, they live longer and they live well. And so I, I wish that for you. I hope that for you. I dream that for you. And I, and I hope to help um, continue to teach us how to live into that together. That's part of the reason your church community is so important. And, and how you um, continue to have those relationships outside of worship. And then last week, uh, we learned that strong relationships take a lot of time. A lot of time. And that's partly why we're having a hard time doing it. Um, there was a book that came out years and years ago called Bowling Alone. Have you ever heard that, of that book? Well, friends, that was a long time ago. Things have not gotten better since then. And so with smartphones and distractions and the busyness of life, we find that some of our strong relationships are starting to fray because we're simply not putting in the time. Arthur Brooks, who has spent the last half of his life studying happiness, says it this way. He says, you know that love that you want in your life? It's not going to make itself happen. It's just not. So God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be whole. God wants you... To serve him first, because that's what's best for you. You you do know that God is the creator of every universe, every planet, every star. He doesn't need you to make him happy. God's not like an emotional person like, oh, please, you know, please worship me. No. God is the God of the universe, right? God is perfect love. And so Jesus says the wise person will put God first, right? God is first. Say that with me. God is first. And so when we come to the scripture that we read this morning, Jesus teaches us, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the right things. And all these things will be given to you as well. All the stuff we worry about, clothes and food and where we live and all of that. Jesus says, if you put God first, then this other stuff 
God will make happen for you. But you have to be in right relationship with God first. And, and here's one of those reasons, is that only God can fill that hole in your heart. And it really drives me crazy that it seems like every little Disney film that I grew up with, and they're getting a little better at it now, but certainly and the, the, sort of the underlying theme is the lie that if you can just find that Prince Charming, if you can just find that one person, if you can just find a person to complete you, right, Jeremy McGuire, huge lie, absolutely not true. That's not true, right? And, and so people try to do that, and their world just blows up. See, it's a huge mistake to put your spouse first. They can't handle it. Only God can handle being first in your life. Why? Because they will fail to do what only God can do. Your spouse cannot do what God can do. They cannot take the place of God. They cannot make you happy. Only a right relationship with God and others can do that. And not only that, but it takes God's love in you to be able to love others well. It takes the love and power of God to forgive, which no relationship survives without, to serve, especially when you don't feel like it, and to love others well, including our family. Paul writes about this to the early church in Corinth. He says, and now faith, hope, and love these abide these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. And it's that agape love, God's love for the world, one of sacrifice where Jesus will lay down his life for his friends. And then, after God comes your primary adult relationship, whatever that is for you. Uh, now, for some of you, that might be a dating relationship. For others, that might be a marriage relationship. For others, that might be the person that you live with. Maybe that's your sister, brother, mom, dad, however that is. Whatever your primary adult relationship is, that comes next underneath the Lord. And so, what I'm, the sermon title for today and what I'm asking you to do is to invest in and protect what you value most. Doesn't that make sense? Now, this is an aside, and I haven't told any of you this, and I hope it doesn't upset you. But you people that leave your beautiful cars outside, that's crazy. If you have a garage, get it inside. I mean, what piece of junk in your garage do you have worth more than your vehicle? Like, garage those things, right? So invest in and protect what you value most. Doesn't that just make sense? And if, and if that's your relationship, then protect your relationship. And so I invite you to really consider that today. Dr. Gary and Barb Rosberg uh, put it like this. They say, to put your marriage on hold for 18 years or even one year while you raise children is not only detrimental to your marriage, but is also devastating to your children. When the parental team breaks down, children become the biggest losers. Right? That's, just, that's just the truth of it. And so today... I want to be super clear about this. You can be happy with or without a spouse. You don't have to have a spouse to be happy, right? Lots of folks are called to singleness. Beautiful, wonderful people, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with being single. So you, you can be happy with or without a spouse, but you cannot be happy without community. You have to have relationships around you. You just do. And so as Megan was telling the kids, you know, community comes in lots of different forms, but you need people speaking into your life to help you see things that you can't see, to lift you up when you're down, to bring you down when you're too high, right? I mean, we need, we need relationships. And we're built for this, friends. You're made for this. You're made for relationship. At the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Say that with me. It is not good that man should be alone. We're not meant to be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. 
And just so that we're clear, this word helper, uh, my Hebrew uh, professor, uh, Dr. Um, Power, said it like this. He was like, you need to understand, and he was particularly talking um, really to both men and women, but for us who are going to be preachers. He's like, look, your people have to understand that this word helper throughout the Bible is used most, most of the time as savior, one that you cannot live with one without one that pulls you up out of the pit. So you see the same Hebrew word in the Psalms a lot. And, and it's always in a context, never of lower than, nothing like that. It's not, a, it's not a placement. It's somebody that you really need in your life. and somebody that, that you really can't live without. And so um, I don't know exactly what that means other than um, in our tradition, there's no higher, hierarchy of men and women. Humanity needs each other. We just need, we need each other. And you were made to be in relationship. You just are. You're, you need to be in relationship. And so because this is true, I, I want to, particularly the men in the room, this, this may be true for some women in the room, but particularly for men, um, you do know that women's vocabulary is much broader, and women say thousands of more words every day than men do. Right? They just do. And we're not great listeners. We try. But, you know, our mind wanders and... And so here's, here's the thing. Like a perfect day for a lot of men would be, you know, to have their wife just be with them wherever they go. Like go, to go hunting, right? And just be out and around to, to do things with you. That's what guys normally like. And, but women like to talk about things. And so by and large, I know that's a generalization. But one of the things that I hear quite often that is devastating to a relationship is when somebody is finally ready to talk about something important. And the other person says, just forget it. Just forget it. You, you need to remove this from your vocabulary. If you never hear this phrase again in your home, that's going to be a blessing to you. Because what you're doing is you're refusing a bid. Someone's trying to connect with you and you're like, no, just forget it. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm done with you. I'm done with, I'm done with our relationship growing. I'm, just forget it. Now, to be fair... You know, there are some tiny little things that are just, you know, like an annoyance. You, you don't need to bring those up at all. But if you're talking about something important, you, you can't just forget it. You need to be able to work these things through. Conflict is a part of every relationship, every relationship. Now, Dr. Emerson Egrick says it like this. He says, conflict is a spark that can either warm up your house if you learn how to resolve it or burn it to the ground if you ignore it. We all have conflict. And so we need to be able to work that through with one another. It, it, you may not be able to get it done in one conversation or two or three or seven. But you need to hang with it because that's what connects you. Actually, that's one of the, the key indicators of whether a couple is going to stay together is can they solve problems together? Can they come to something that's a challenge and move through it together? And, and they can choose any one of a hundred ways to get through it. That's not really so much the matter of how. It's the commitment to do it together, to move through together. And this is so important, friends, because all around us are people who feel invisible, unseen, misunderstood, alone. And, and loneliness, friends, it, it's terrible for us, and it's terrible for the world. Loneliness is as old as the very first stories of the Bible. Think about it, that bone-breaking loneliness of Adam without a partner. And, and the heartbreaking loneliness of Abraham and Sarah without a child. And Jesus talks about a young man that is so lonely that he would rather be a slave of, of his father's than to sit with the pigs if he just let him back on the family ranch. I mean, loneliness is throughout the Bible. And Jesus himself, of course, was no stranger to loneliness. Perhaps the Garden of Gethsemane is the lonely place of all. 
I mean, forsaken even by God himself. I mean, Jesus knows loneliness. He knows the heartbreak of it. Frederick Buechner is one of my favorite theologians. I recommend him to you. He's no longer living. Uh, But in his book, Telling Secrets, he says, What we hunger for, perhaps more than anything else, is to be known in our full humanness. And yet that is often just what we also fear more than anything else. Isn't that true for you? That you want to be known. We so desperately want people to know us, particularly those closest to us. We want them to know all of us. But then we step back because we're afraid of, of what they might do. They might reject us. They might make fun of us. They may say, forget it. They may say it's no big deal. When to us, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. So we have to be careful with our bids with one another. And we do want to be known. That's, that's what a good community is for, to really know one another. And this is so important because I'm, I'm about to share something that is absolutely true but absolutely tough to hear. And that is that families that can't tell the truth cannot be close. If you can't tell the truth to one another, you cannot be close. You can't be close. You have fake intimacy. You're just putting on a good face on it because if you're not telling each other the truth, you can't really be connected. You don't even know the truth. You don't even know one another. And so truth-telling is a core value of, of the Christian life, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So, uh, John Gottman, who I recommend all of his work to you, John and Julie Gottman, they've been uh, at relationship work for, you know, decades now. I've been reading them since the early 90s. He writes this, like, we, we don't have perfect families. We don't need to pretend we do. He says, the point is that neurosis don't have to ruin a marriage. They don't. If you can accommodate each other's crazy side and handle it with caring affection and respect, your marriage can thrive. And we all got a little crazy in our families. We just do. But it's not whether you have crazy or not. You do. The question is, how do you care for one another through that crazy? Because we all have it. Now, again, I wish I didn't have to say this, but surely if you followed me long at all, you know this by now. I'm not talking about abusive relationships. Right? Ever. And so, you know, if you need to do that, uh, we've got some folks on staff that can help you. The YWCA has amazing help with those sorts of things. That's not what I'm talking about here in this sermon. But I, I, do, I will say this, that in every relationship, and we talked about this last week, strong relationships take a lot of what I call idiot compassion. Right? You're going to do stupid stuff. People do, um, particularly 7th and 8th graders um, that are boys, often as one who lived through that myself as a one and had two of them at one season. We just do dumb stuff. Don't you? I mean, it just dumb stuff happens. And you, and you have to decide, well, how do I love them well through that? Or is that going to be a family secret or a family story or a piece of pain in our life for the rest of our lives? I mean, you've got choices about these things. I don't know who said it, but this really resonates with me. Being deeply loved by someone gives you strength, while loving someone deeply gives you courage. Now, I've, I've seen this over and over and over again where someone's struggling um, or you, they're just sort of, you know, just going through normal life and then all of a sudden they just flourish, they just thrive, they just kind of come alive and you're like, what happened? And, and more often than not, someone has come into their life and loves them well. They see them for the first time. And a lot of times that's a teacher. 
right? It, it doesn't have to be a romantic piece at all. Or maybe, maybe that's a colleague. They, they actually get you, right? They actually see you. They know what, the value that you hold, the ideas that you carry, the sorts of things that you can do that other people don't or never took the time to learn that you can do it. And for those of us who choose to love, it takes great courage, great courage. And, and it develops in you. The, the better and longer you love people, the, the more courage it takes to do it over and over and over again. Particularly when you get into the season of life uh, where I am and, and forward. To put your heart out there again it gets harder and harder. Um, one of the things is you know that I visit my mom in a nursing facility every Monday. And, you know, nursing facilities of any size are going to lure lose 60 to 100 people a year just the loss is incredible the person across the hall isn't there it's not because they're on a cruise it's because they pass and so the older we get in a lot of ways the harder it is to stay courageous because you know the time that you have with these folks is limited when i was um in my first job up in iowa i had a, a neighbor across the hall blanche ludwig and she could not really see, and she couldn't really hear. And I always knew Blanche was home because at 5.30 I'd hear, Wheel of Fortune! And it just, just as if it was in my own place. And, and so I, I developed a relationship with Blanche. And, and I was like, well, you know, I'm your neighbor. And, you know, do you want to be friends? And she's like, well, I don't know. Everybody that comes into this apartment leaves me. And she had lived there 50 years. And she was right. I was gone a year later. So it wasn't too hard for me. I was in my early 20s. It was hard for her because she had had courage one more time. And I'm glad she did. You know, she's one of the, the few names from Iowa that I still recall and love. And so in this relationship stuff, no relationship survives without forgiveness. And, and I don't want you to mishear me, friends. When we talk about forgiveness, it absolutely is not forgetting. It is not condoning. It is not necessarily reconciling. Maybe you can reconcile sometimes, but... A lot of times you can't, particularly if someone's passed on. And so forgiveness, um, I like to talk about um, when somebody hits me in the face, I will forgive you. I will not let you hit me in the face again, right? I will step back, right? I'm, not, I'm just, that, you, you don't need to be hit again. You don't need to be hit ever, really. But, you know, if a smart person, a wise person is not going to forget when someone is dangerous in your arena, Right? Act accordingly. Act accordingly. And so what forgiveness is in the Hebrew, in the Bible, is untying yourself from the mess, whatever that mess is. And I I just think it's a a good metaphor. Uh, You know, you may not have even made the knot. You may not have made the mess. But you don't have to stay in it. You can untie yourself from it. And the mess may still be there. It may come be okay. It may not. But it won't matter to you nearly as much because you have untied yourself from it. And that's what forgiveness is. It's for your benefit. It may benefit others as well, but it's for your benefit. That's why God asks us to do it. I have a colleague um, here in town, Dr. Elaine Robinson. She was my teacher's assistant when I was in um, theology school. Super smart lady. She's got a new book out, and in it she writes this. She says, we only survive and thrive when we are in relationships of caring, nurture, and love. We are intended to care for each other, to feed and clothe and tenderly hold one another, to live as if our very lives depend on our relationships, and they do. They do. They absolutely do. Now, 
I, this is how I like, I like to kind of like just dance in my mind about like we have these big questions. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, like I got people in my life. They're like, people say, would you have anybody you could call at like 2 in the morning? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I, I, I had this one really good friend, like 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grade, 12th grade a little bit. And, um, you know, I, th- I think of that relationship really well. But, friends, you can't count on somebody being there for you if you haven't talked to them in years. I mean, that's a fantasy. I mean, I'd like to think that I could call him, but truth is he probably has a different number by now. Right? Many of you all have different numbers. Give us your new ones. I mean, that that's, happens all the time. We try to call, check on somebody. It's like, boop, you know, we don't have that anymore. Right? So we want to think of people as like, oh, yeah, we can count on them. But if you haven't talked to them, you can't count on them. You may think you can, and maybe you can. But you can't know that if you're not in communication with them. Another way to say this is something you've probably heard before, and that is to get what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. If you want a deeper relationship, then you have to do some things to make it deeper. And if you want to have what you used to have, then you've got to do what you used to do. So, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, when we were first married, all this stuff happened. And I said, well, what did you enjoy doing? Well, we'd love to go to movies. Well, go to movies. Well, it's harder now. We have to get a babysitter. Okay, go to movies. I'm not saying it's as easy as it was. Nothing's as easy as it was as you age and your body gets older. I mean, it just it's a beating, friends, getting older. It just is, right? So here's some important questions for you. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't have the answers for you, but I got some good questions. Got lots of good questions. And if you answer these questions for yourself and maybe for your family, you get together as a family, um, it'll help you. Uh, the first is this, before ever getting married, for the young people in the room or people who find themselves single and they want to be married. You don't have to be. It's not a re- requisite for a good life. But if that's something you desire, if you're starting in a relationship, there's a lot of questions. You need to ask a lot of questions before you get married or before you get in a serious relationship. Some of them are these. Um, are our expectations aligned? Right? Are they aligned in regards to sports teams? Um, Politics, resolving conflict, finances. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, like, Pastor Mark, sports teams, really? You're killing me. Well, I I say that half-jokingly, but we live in Oklahoma. Like, it's a big deal here. (laughs) Like, families. Um, But not only that, friends. If you're dating somebody and you can't even align on sports teams that it's not that big a deal, don't you ever try talking about parenting. Right? you got to start low (laughs) before you get to the big stuff. And so don't... Don't think that, oh, well, it's no big deal, right? Or just forget it. These are real things in people's lives. How are you going to resolve conflict? Politics. That'll be easy this year, right? Finances, debt. People think of debt way differently. Sometimes I'll I'll just ask couples in premarital counseling, like, well, you know, do you have debt? Somebody say, no, not really. And they'll say, like, yeah, I got a lot of debt. And I'll ask them, like, well, exactly how much? It'll be the same number. Because one person sees debt one way and another sees it another way. You know, a lot of folks uh, I talk to now have more than $30,000 in student debt. It's hard. I've I've worked with couples where their student debt's more than their mortgage. Rough, rough stuff. And then I have other people that they have $30,000 in student debt, and they think they are killing it because they're neurosurgeons, and all the rest of their friends are like $200,000. Right? So it depends on who you are. What, What does debt mean to you? It's a big deal. Roles and responsibilities. And by the way, um, it's, it's not what you hope will happen. It's what do you actually already do 
Because the best predictor of future behavior is what? Past behavior. So if you grew up in a home where you had these roles and responsibilities, more than likely you're going to sort of expect that, at least at a, a, you know, a subconscious level, um, that you're, that's going to happen. You do that with children, parenting, religious commitments. That's a huge one. Career plans, extended family, where to live, and sex. Um, and sex will give you children sometimes. And, and then that gets you back to religious commitments. <laughs> no, seriously, people think that it's just going to be fine, and then they have a baby, and then it's not fine. Because grandma, who's Roman Catholic, wants the baby baptized, you know, like 30 seconds after so you can hold the record. And then my, my Baptist friends over here don't want you to get baptized until you go to Falls Creek, and you get in the pond, and you get dunked and give your life to Jesus. And, and those are very different things. It's all good. I, li- I think of it like chocolate cake. Chocolate cake's always good. Whenever you get it, it's good. I, I prefer mine early, um, as do Episcopals, Methodists, Roman Catholics, Orthodox folks. Um, but that's, that's me. There's a lot of reasons for believers' baptism. We have, I've got lots of friends that believe deeply in that. And that's okay. It's absolutely okay. But how you're going to live through that, you ought to be talking that before it happens. Because right, there's a lot of stress when you're just like, whoop, I guess we got to choose now. So here's some other questions, not nearly as detailed, but super important. When's date night? When's your date night? If you don't know, that might be a problem, right? Some of you have date nights regularly. That's great. What does a renewing overnight getaway look like without children? When is it? If it's not on the calendar, it's likely not going to happen. Because those are hard. I think one of the very best things that Chantel told me and I agree with is that we went on an overnight vacation for like, was it three nights? Um, at our 10-year anniversary without kids. My, my parents were um, awesome. They took care of the, the boys for us. And I remember like on night two of the cruise, I'm like, ah, I remember you. Like, we, you know, like it just felt the same, finally. Um, but when you have little ones, it's hard. It's just hard. You're just exhausted. I get that. So you need time away. You really do. Because relationships take what? Time. They do. So given that, how many minutes a day do we spend alone together talking beyond logistics? Logistics are important. You need to know where your kids are. You need to know when they're coming home. You need, you need to know that stuff. But if that's all you're talking about, you're really developing relationships around your kids, not around each other. You're just, you're just getting the, the work done. And you have to get the work done. But if you want a better relationship, you have to spend time on the relationship. And this is an important one in church families. Do I share the details of our relationship with others? And you might think, well, what's the right answer? Like, am I supposed to do that? I'm in a small group. I'm supposed to share my life, right? Not if you haven't talked to your spouse about it. I mean, if if the other person in your life, whether it's your spouse or a good friend or whatever, if you don't have permission to talk about it, don't talk about it. Right? Gossip comes in many forms, friends, including prayer requests. So you have to be, you have to be careful with this stuff. You don't, you don't want to injure someone who's trusted you with their life and their stories. Or you might ask, how many hours a week do I spend intentionally nurturing my relationship? Many of you will spend at least 40 hours nurturing your career. But that career is going to end for most of you between 65 and 72. And my hope is that you still have a significant other with you the relationship will be like how's that relationship or is it all at work i gave it work that's a real thing and when's the last time you prayed together there are things in this life that are just too big 
that your spouse can't handle, that your best friend can't handle, that you need to be able to pray for one another. You need to ask God to come in and say, help us. This is bigger than we are. And those families that can pray together, they have a, a, a very, very, very wonderful thing that comes into their life that people who don't, don't. Right? They have wisdom. They have insight. They feel empowered. They can get to the next day. And then when we were preparing for this, um, the staff basically came back to this over and over again. And that is, do I expect a nuclear family to do what only an extended family can accomplish? We don't have good awareness of this, but America in this time in history is super weird. Let me just start. If you go almost anywhere else in the world, you don't hang out with your mom and dad and two kids. You're with grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, cousins, extended family, people that are not blood, but you consider them family. And you have all these people in your life, and they all help each other. And, and they all, you know, you, you need to go on an overnight vacation? Great, because you got 30 people over here happy to, that already know your kids. That's the way most of the world works. And that's the way even America worked up until about 100 years ago. You would, you would just learn things, right? You would be on the farm with your uncles and your cousins. You were working the land. And you would have conversations as you did that. And those relationships were strong, not only because you had to to survive, but because you spent a lot of what? Time together, not on your cell phone. And so to ask it a different way, because this is a super important point. Do I expect my partner to be a passionate lover and a good parent and a caring spouse and to relieve my anxiety and to provide significant financial resources and to provide purpose or direction and to soothe my loneliness? If that's your expectation, just get ready for the pain. Only God can do that. And only God through a community of people around you can get that done for someone. That's way too much pressure for one person. You're not gods. We're humans, right? Only Jesus can, can feel that. And so I would ask you what I, you know, um, for you to think about, and that is if you keep doing what you're doing right now, what will your relationship be like in 10 years? If you just look back on this week, if you did exactly this week over and over and over again, what does your relationship look like 10 years from now? Are you happy with that vision? The good news is if you're not, you can change it. Right now, you can change it, and that's a good thing. So I have two action steps for you. They don't seem that they're connected, but they absolutely are. So just hang with me. I don't think you're going to like either one of them. Um, But they'll help you if you do them. So number one. Discipline yourself to listen well, listen well, and to refuse to have the last word. Just, you can just let the conversation be what it is. You don't have to influence or needle or pick at. Just let it be. For most of it, we really need to learn how to do this. It's really just good manners, quite frankly. But there are a few of you, not many of you, but there are a few in the room where you absolutely need to have the last word. You've never had the last word. It's more comfortable for you not to have the last word. And for those of you who that's it, you, I want to encourage you to step up and say, um, actually, I don't think like that at all. I'm over here, and this is what's important to me. And that last word needs to be spoken out so that you can work it. That's important, too. And then the last one, um, I'm learning how to do this. I hope you'll learn how to do it with me. When someone says, you are wrong, right? They're, they're basically correcting you in some way. You are wrong. That's not right, Pastor Mark. What I'd like for you to say is, tell me more. How is that? I want to learn. How am I wrong? What research do you have that that I haven't read yet? Because, you know, I'd like to be able to change my mind if new information warrants it. Wouldn't you? 
to actually get smarter, to, you know, to learn things. And so just, just tell me more. Tell me more. Um, when we were practicing this earlier, uh, one of the people on my staff was like, I'm not asking my daughter that. She'll like kill me. She's like this way and this way and this way. <laughs> um, but particularly in your adult relationships and, and maybe even with your children. Like, well, well what, is, what is wrong about that? I really want to know your opinion. I want to be connected to you. Because, again, and this will be something we've got to work on over and over and over again this year. You can actually believe different things or value different things and still be in loving relationships. Did you know that? It's actually possible. And so I hope this has been a blessing to you um, over this month. We'll do it again next year. And um, I do want to say that I do know that this can be very difficult for some of you. And if, you, if this brings up stuff for you and you need to talk to someone, we have some beautiful people on our staff that are really good at it. Uh, Pastor Tim um, is amazing at it. Uh, Pastor Grill uh, is really good at it. Brandon and I are super busy these days. So um, <laughs> choose wisely. Uh, but um, we love you, we bless you, and we're glad you're here. Let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.